Unhinged No Hope, the podcast. I would love to talk about the nudity. Oh my gosh. It has been, it's been a minute. Such been a, minute. a long, long time since we have been here for you, our beautiful <laughs> listeners. Can I make a confession? It's been two months. I just saw. It has been two months. And it was not an in, an intentional uh, uh, absence by any stretch. Uh, Tim and I have just been going through it, respectively, we, as all of you, I believe, have as well. Yes, because the world is <laughs> coming back and also Air just as fucked up as it ever was. <laughs> Ain't so, that the truth? Uh, it is, but the a good news shit show out there. It is a shit show, what, especially what is for the those of us Give working me... in the arts. Um, the good yeah. news <laughs> is that technically Broadway is back. So technically, Broadway is back. <laughs> um, I haven't actually been to. A I was show gonna. Yet. I was gonna, gonna ask you. My, I am going to pass over on October sixth. Okay. I am. Go- oh wait! I'm going to see six before then. I'm going to see oh, six. Wow. The oh wow! I need to get tickets to that weekend of uh, September okay. with Jake and Eric and Fun. some folks. I think the first yes. thing I have tickets to is Carolina Change, which I'm 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 here for that. So I am so happy that that show is coming back. Oh, I know. And we are me too. Tickets to that also. Yeah. Because um, I never saw it. Me, me neither. Which was such a huge theater regret of mine. It's really weird too to listen to that show because, or and I've even tried to read that show, and I'm I'm hmm. I don't completely understand what's going on. So oh, wow. I think I need to see it. I need. I mean, to, you I are mean, a you know, Tony Kushner fan, are I, you not? I am a Tony Kushner okay. fan, but man, Tony Kushner has some stuff that is extraordinarily accessible, and then Tony mm. Kushner has some stuff that is really Less fucking so. dense. Yeah. And yeah, he, very Carol Churchill in that way, you know. Uh, uh, and and so it's, um, I have a feeling that you need some visuals. You need to be to led through the story a yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. and then everything is going to hopefully really, really congeal. Really well, and I love Janine Tesori, so I'm I'm like excited, I'm very excited for that. Um, yeah. But uh, should just, we should people know who we are, or, sh- or do we just assume oh, that at Jesus. episode forty-one? No, we <laughs> should say a little bit of who we are. We, I am Tim Omiller, and I'm Scott Schneider, and this is if, if you're if you're no, out there, no hope, no hope. The, the podcast, podcast outcasts, outcasts in the in arts. The and we are outcasts. <laughs> we are definitely. We have been. We have been. Ro- we have been roaming the desert uh, for, for multiple decades now. <laughs> like literally multiple decades. Yeah. <clears throat> and we. Um, I just have to start by saying that we just had a very dramatic event start our day right before mm. this recording. We were cutting our little puppies, uh, oh. trimming her face. When um, John, because she hates it so much, she okay. used to be fine. She used to be fine as a, like yeah. a, as a like a youngster, but for some reason, as she's getting older, it, she hates there being anything near her face, whether yeah. it's a comb or a pair of scissors. Obviously, these scissors are like the little blunt edged scissors <laughs> because it's a dog's face. Yeah. But she moved, and he nicked her tongue. 
And it was so dramatic because there was, as you saw, there was was a lot of blood. I thought that you had like, um, like had tried to dye her hair in some sort of festive way. And like, there was like a party this weekend. That's what I thought was happening. Or like she was a vampire dog for Halloween (laughs) and she had just finished like ravishing someone. Yeah. I mean, I get Um, it. Like, you know, people don't like to be poked or prodded. I don't like to be poked or prodded. You've been going through major dental uh, situations, uh, as have I. Uh, I, uh, Didn't you say that like uh, William has a panic attack every time he goes to the dentist? So I get get it. I get it. Basically, yes. Every time he gets to the dentist, the dentist, he tell, I, t- I think I told you that he tells the dentist, like, just, no, just I'm so you have know. to stop a lot. And just so you know. And the dentist is like, oh, okay, okay. And then he's literally stopping every, like, three seconds. And the dentist is just like, well, you were not lying. Like you, <laughs> that was no exaggeration. Oh, my God. So that sucks. Sucky. Just having a major uh, right. dental she situation. Seemed, she seems okay. to be okay well, now. That's good. I don't she hear anything. Is, I don't see anything. She's and I don't gonna hear live. Well, she was very brave. I have to tell yeah. you, she really didn't. She was. I think she was a little scared. Okay. But she didn't cry or anything. Like she has a. She must have a very high pain threshold. Hmm. Although maybe nicking your tongue doesn't hurt that man. Hmm. You know that much. I don't know. I don't dog. know. Something to rewind about. So, <laughs> dog tongue um, pain. So. <clears throat> we are Tim Miller and Scott Schneider. We are two white cisgendered gay <laughs> men who live in New York and write musicals, which is, you know, so I mean, I think we uh, write extraordinary. I think we write musicals, unique. right? Do we still write musicals? Well, <laughs> we write at least we write songs. We podcast and write songs these days, but yeah, yeah, and and um, we talk and we musicals. try. We do talk about musicals, and we're going to talk about one musical yeah. today so we're going to we're breaking once format again, break and format. format because we realized that the grease discussion was actually quite fun yeah. when we both knew going in what the musical was and we could we could sort of have a little bit more um preparation mm-hmm. if you will for what we would like to discuss and like when i uh, pitched this i i was i had a strong feeling that we were like of the same page on this, which, you know, I, I, I feel like that makes the surprise element less interesting when yes, it's like, Oh, I like that yes, too. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's true. That's very true. That's yeah. very true. So, so what is do it? You, do you want, do, do you have a little introduction? I, I have, I don't, I, have one, I think it's going to give it away pretty quickly. That's fine. Right? I think, I think let's, 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 let's do All you. Right. All right. I don't, I don't have a lot of impressions of this musical mm-hmm. from growing up for some reason. Like I don't really remember knowing about it when yeah. I was a kid. And I'm, even in high school, I don't think I knew about okay. this musical. I think probably somewhere in college, I heard the song, let the sunshine. And again, I don't even know when mm. I first heard that song that I knew it was from a musical because it really does sound very much like totally. a song that you would hear on the radio yes. from the late sixties and seventies, which is of course what they were, what was happening. I mean, the, the songwriters were actually living in that period and living in that, um, uh, counterculture, counterculture era. I mean, that's who they were. So right. it was, it wasn't like they were trying to recreate or put something. Put on a hat. It's like they of were, some sort. right, yeah. right, 
Right. So the, the, the main, the, yeah. So that's, that's some of what I've learned. But, and then I think at some point in college, I, I'm sure I heard the songs white boys and black mm-hmm. boys, although I'm probably misrepresenting. Or is that the, the, the full name uh, yeah. of each of those songs? Yeah. No, I'm okay. going to, I'm going to dive into that one a little, a little okay. later too. But I never saw the film. And to be honest, mm. I don't know why, but I had like, basically no interest in seeing the musical until John saw the production that the Diane Paulus directed the Shakespeare in the Park. Yep. Two thousand and nine. Oh my god I that right? I, when I looked that up I was Ugh. like, how is that possible? I like remember seeing that as if it was like I mean, Yesterday. it's literally like my life is flashing before my eyes, but that's okay. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. Because it is, actually, it is. But anyway, the long and short of this okay. is, this is definitely filed under one of those fucking things of like, why wasn't I all over this mm-hmm. musical? Like, it's, it it has all the thing. it has, it's, it's totally things I love. Yeah. Like, free love, hippies, fluid sexuality, weed, and most of all, Massive nudity. Nudity. Like, ma- massive, not massive nudity. nudity. Mass mass nudity. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> um yeah, no, this checks a lot of your boxes has, for you. And it's not like it a traditional bro- it's not a traditional Broadway musical either. It's not like no, book, it's a, song, it's a, book, it's a fucking song. it's a fucking mess, yeah. I think, actually, yeah. is what You're it right, is. Exactly. Which is it's a beautiful is, mess um, though. Which is yeah. yes, yes, exactly. I mean it is a beautiful mess. So like for me. My introduction was this will, I don't know, I hope you're sitting down, Tim. I listened to the CD in junior high school when I was binging oh like God, the entire musical theater canon. But it's like, I'm not even sure I got through the CD. Like, I just so did not understand it. It was, I was like, why are all these fucking songs like two minutes long? I thought it was just like really confusing and disjointed. It didn't seem to like it had like any sort of plot. And I just kind of like wrote it off like as some like weird relic of the 60s. Like, oh my God, like that's for my parents. Like, you, I guess you had to be there. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And then like, but like you, I didn't have like a ton of awareness of of the music really um and then i think in high school uh when i was in show choir because every one of these podcast episodes i got a hit like junior high school and of course uh, uh, high yes. school show choir but in high school show choir one of the uh like there's a there, there was a bad choir you know there's like different tiers of choirs i don't know if it was like this in your school but there was a bad choir and they were called the descants and everybody called them the death chants because high school kids are really mean and they sang um aquarius and let the sun shine in and it was like really bad um but yeah i didn't have i and that was like kind of it and then like like you uh, and I don't feel like people like do this very often. Like so, well, no. so again, it was no. like you. It wasn't it's until not, the revival. It's not. A, that's the thing. It's not. It, it, it because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Even now, mm-hmm. even what forty years later, yep. because of the or fifty years later, because of the subject matter, like high schools don't fucking do this. Sure, shit. of course. Like you have to be like Laguardia High School or something right, like right, right, right. M- major arts high school for performing it to be, arts would even be considered mm-hmm. to do something like hair with with its with its with its themes with its free love yeah. with its you know like all of that shit i mean you can get away with doing grease speaking of because this is the last episode that, uh because you can i think there's well there's ways this, that they get and there's like a things. sanitized version of it that they yeah, license yes, yes so yes yes but like but with this no like that just doesn't that just doesn't exist yeah. um before we before we get too far i want to mention 
that I'm going to be taking, uh, doing some reading from a book called Free for All, Joe Papp, The Public and the Greatest Theater Story Ever Told by Kenneth Turbin and Joseph Papp. Great. It was published in uh, 2010, and it is a book which, if you have any interest in any of these these huge shows that came from the public and that really put the public on the map... Um, it is such a fascinating book because it's basically just interviews. So you're just reading, oh, I love that. you know, interview descriptions of, of different and, and obviously different people. So chapter 10, which covers hair, which was in 1967. Wow. So yeah. So 40, wait, was this the first big, no, oh, 50, 53 I mean, years. Wild. Yes. This, this is the first, so, bit, so, that's wild having like given the subject matter and uh, having just watched this film, like this was like that. This was like over fifty freaking years ago. Sodomy. So he was going to do an English play. Who? Who um, was going to do? Joseph oh, Papp uh, okay. had just opened the theater, yeah. and he says, the basic question was, how was I going to operate that theater? That baffled me. I was insistent on doing new plays, but I'd never put on a play that had not been produced before. I asked myself, what do you put on in a theater like that? And I didn't know what to answer. At first, I felt I better not make this transition too severe by going directly from Shakespeare into an American contemporary play. So then he was going to do uh, something called Sergeant Musgrave's Dance. Hmm. Uh, and then he decided um, uh, to, uh, to, to yeah, he was going to do something. And then I think he was going to do something British initially. Um, so he's on the train because he teaches at Yale at this point, Joseph okay. Papp, who is, of course, the father of the public theater. And if you don't know about him, he was a uh, extraordinarily revered and controversial figure. Uh, but he actually got the city of New York to put the public theater. There is a line item in the city of New York's budget mm. for the public theater, which is one of the only theaters in the nation like that still has publicly, a line item publicly that is publicly funded on a regular basis. Yes, yeah. which I think I've mentioned that before. You but have, anyway, but he's it's on worth, the train. It bears repeating. He's on the train from New Haven, I think, into New York, and this guy, uh, Jerome Ragney, he came, He says he came over and sat down next to me. He was a chipper guy, always laughing, and a genuine hippie. It was not put on with him, not bourgeois. He was really wild. I asked him what he was doing, and he said, Jimmy and I are working on a play. It's a musical. I have some pages right here. Would you like to see them? I said, all right. And right there and then he showed me six or seven pages, a lot of words, handwritten on some yellow paper. There were lyrics to some songs, including one called Hair, and a few scenes. I wasn't quite sure whether I liked it or not. Here and there, the lyrics were smart, and in other places, they seemed absolutely silly, but he said he was still working on it. <laughs> oh, once upon a looking for Donna time, there was a 16-year-old virgin. Oh, Donna, oh, oh, Donna, oh, 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 looking for my Donna. I just come back from looking for Donna, San Francisco, <laughs> well, the, I think that's true of the end product too. <laughs> Some very silly, yes. silly lyrics. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so then he says, and one little scene he showed me about a guy going off to war had been intriguing. I always want to do something that comes out of the times we're living in and all around us at the theater. It was what was being called the East Village were all the hippies. It was no bullshit. You'd go out the door and there they all were. Ragney was very persistent. He followed up in just a few days with more pages. He brought Jimmy Ratto in. Is it Ratto or Rado? I have no idea. I actually don't know. And when they started... And when they started telling me more about what they were writing, I said, geez, this sounds kind of interesting. Well, so that, so, was, um, the... that was how that was the initial contact. Um, uh, and then this is from Jerome Ragney, who I also don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, Ragney, but it's it has to be right. Um, he says the script of hair was typed and mimeographed like a regular script. It wasn't like little napkins and pieces of paper. The story that got out that we had written this thing on bags and like that was like a joke. We had been working on it close to three <laughs> years before Joe saw it. We thought it was anti-war about the protest in Vietnam, but Joe said, I like it. This is about the alienation of youth. Yeah, so even sure. in those two yeah. things, yeah. That they're completely telling, like yeah, a completely different, different story about story. where this was coming from. Well, yes, yes, and that shit keeps going. Hmm. So I want to read one more thing before I'll I'll give the floor back to you. But so Galt is it Galt? I think McDermott? it is Galt. Yeah, McDermott. Galt. Yeah. Okay. Um, he says, I wasn't into theater. I was a piano player mm -hmm. and I made a living such as it was making demo records. I was always a jazz fan and I knew jazz writer and publisher named Nat Shapiro, who at the time was a producer. Um, Jerry and Jim were still hustling hair. They were going and seeing everybody. And when they met Nat, he put us together. When they came to me, they said, we've got a producer, Joe Papp. If we can get a score, he'll do it. Even though I wasn't into the theater world, when they said, we have a producer, that sounded good. And then he says again, Jerry and Jim were really into this hippie culture. They used to drag me down <laughs> to the East Village. They'd say, you've got to see how these people live or you won't be able to write this kind of music. They'd take me to Tompkins Square. Uh, there used to be a whole lot of hippies and druggies and everything there. It was quite a lively spot, but everybody thought I was a narc because I was wearing a tie and a white shirt. It was a little embarrassing. Right. I do remember <laughs> reading stuff about how he was like, you know, more of a like, square, if you will. <laughs> So fascinating. You know. I mean, okay. So who talk, talk to us? Give us the the, the main deets here. Um, this musical was first produced in 1967 with a book with book and lyrics by Jerome Ragney and James Rado. Sure. Rado? I actually, you know, I it's with like music. It's not like these were like Broadway people. So so I don't actually have like a ton of knowledge of them since this was a little bit of, of, of like no, an outsider work I, you know what i mean right 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 but i mean just i just want to make sure that i'm capturing everyone's right. name so are those the three writers yeah. is it just the three of Ragni, them Ragni, Rado, and mcdermott yeah, yeah okay great and it was produced at the public theater first right yes yeah do you have that information or should i get on the old uh the old horn here yeah i mean for sure on the music but we're flailing no but there was an out there was originally you are correct originally there was an off-broadway <laughs> debut at the uh at the public theater and uh debut was on october 17th 1967 uh and this is interesting and a subsequent run at the cheetah nightclub from December yes. of 67 to January of 68. And then it opened on Broadway in April 68, where it ran for 1,750 performances. So that is the original trajectory of this show. Um, yeah. 
it, it it did it's it says it earned strong reviews and won the Tony Award and Drama Desk Award for best revival of a music uh, musical. That's the 2009. I was reading about this and it was a little bit you know it got good reviews initially but was like somewhat shunned a little bit by 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 certain you know folks in the theater theater community i think i read that like leonard bernstein was like not a fan and possibly even walked out but i may need to double check double check that but uh but yeah i kind of wanted to like talk about the music a little bit as since that's my jam if, if if you're cool with that yes we can totally talk about the music and then we can talk more about the development um after that sure so the music, as as we have said, was by Galt McDermott. I thought this was a fun little factoid. Is uh, after studying the music of the Bantu at Cape Town University, uh, McDermott incorporated African rhythms into the score of Hair. He listened to what the Bantu called quelas, which stress beats on unexpected sim- syllables. And this influence can be heard in songs like "What a Piece of Work Is Man" and "Ain't Got No Grass." <laughs> Dermid said, my idea was to make a total funk show. They said they wanted rock and roll, but to me that translated to funk. Um, <clears throat> he claimed that the songs shouldn't all be the same. Uh, you've got to get different styles. I like to think they're all different. Uh, as a result, I think this is true. The music runs from rock to folk to R&B to pop and onward, but it's all very populist, which I think actually makes sense as hippies, uh, you know, were creating art of the people. Songs that we already sort of talked about, but I want to, you know, mention again is Aquarius um, and uh, Let the Sunshine In are probably, I mean, I feel like are probably the like most well-known um, yeah, and yeah. those were paired together. It's interesting because some of this music, you know, it became actually, it spawned like three top 10 hits in 1969. So uh, Aquarius and Let the Sunshine In were sort of paired together. They're different songs in the show. Uh, and the, it was covered by The Fifth Dimension is the name of the band. And the song spent six weeks at number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 Pop Singles Chart in the spring of 1969 and was eventually certified platinum. That was the song that I definitely like was aware of and like, you know, would hear like here and there. Yeah. So I probably heard Aquarius. When I bet I heard Aquarius when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty fabulous. So listen to this. Okay. Just Galt McDermott. Yeah. This is so funny. So he is Canadian. The square. The Canadian square. He was born in Montreal. Yeah. Um, and he... Um, 
He also wote in addition to hair, mm-hmm. he wrote the two gentlemen yes, I saw of that. Verona. I saw that and started Oh my god, which we, we just, just talked about like talking because about because we were talking about about that in relationship to what? Who that, that it had beat Oh Greece. Yeah, it had beat <laughs> it had beat Greece yeah. for the the Tony that year. Because we right. were like, and what's yet, that? I don't think we were anyone like, has what's ever that heard musical? Of that. Yeah, I was laughing. I just I just saw that. Um, <clears throat> another song that was sort of like taken out of the show and sort of had a had a life of a, of its own, uh, and you will certainly know this, Tim, uh, was Nina Simone. She took two different songs from the show, uh, Ain't Got No, which is originally sung by, in the show, is sung by the characters of Wolf, Hud, Dion, and the tribe, and the song I Got Life, which is sung by Claude, and the tribe and sort of paired those together. Um, and it's in a very, very powerful uh, protest sort of manner. So like the lyrics to ain't got no, uh, it's ain't got no home, ain't got no shoes, ain't got no money, ain't got no class, ain't got no friends, ain't got no schooling, ain't got no wear, ain't got no job, ain't got no money, no place to stay. And onward and onward, this sort of like list of things uh, that she doesn't have. Uh, and then it sort of pivots and she says, but what have I got? Let me tell you what I've got that nobody's going to take away. I got my hair on my head. I got my brains. I got my ears. I got my eyes. I got my nose. I got my mouth. I got my smile. I got my tongue. I got my chin. I got my neck. I got my boobies. I got my heart. I got my soul. I got my back. I got my sex. I got my arms. I got my hands. I got my fingers. I got my legs. I got my feet. I got my toes. I got my liver, got my blood, got life. I got life, which is like. It's powerful. Am I am I wrong? It's a, it's a stunning song, and the, the Nina Simone version yeah. is probably the best. Sure. Um, but it's also a fucking great number in that show as well. Oh, totally, I mean, because it's like the whole tribe and yeah. Claude singing these songs. And 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 um, Gavin Creel. Gavin <laughs> Creel. Oh, my God. He was so amazing. Moment. So amazing a moment for show. Gavin Creel. Did you know that, um, um, not, to, not to take us off, but did you know that Jonathan Groff was originally in that sort of trajectory of that revival. No. So they did you a... Mean he was going to be Claude? I don't know, like, what the situation was, if he was just, like, not available to do the Broadway, but um, that started as uh, three nights in September of 2007. Uh, Joe's Pub and the Public Theater did a 40th anniversary production of Hair at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park. Um, and the demand was so overwhelming. They then, uh, the, it was after that, that they, it was like the next summer that uh, they did the fully okay. staged production of hair, uh, also in at the, the Delacorte, but like fully yeah. staged. Um, and we should mention it was Diane Paulus who directed, but it was Will Swinson as, as Berger and it was Jonathan Groff as Claude, which I totally in the park? In, also in the park, which I had no idea. Um, I didn't either. So, so, so John saw him. Okay. Then yeah. Oh yeah. I remember like desperately trying to get get a ticket to that and like entering the lottery like every single day. But, um, 
I mean, but Gavin Creel was amazing also. But yeah, I'm sure Jonathan Groff did a great job with it too. Uh, yeah, so Nina Simone. So who else? So what else? What other songs from the score might you listeners know? Of course, the song Hair. Uh, sung by Claude Berger and Tribe. Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, streaming, flex and waxing. Give me down to there, shoulder length or longer hair. Here, baby, there, mama, everywhere, daddy, daddy, hair. Grow it, show it, long as I can grow it, my hair. Um, so this was also a a hit taken out of context of the show in 1969. Major hit for the cow sills. No idea. What? Exactly. No idea. The cow sills? The cow sills. Cow sills. Yeah, like cow, S-I-L-L-S. Oh. <laughs> Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, bleeding, streaming, flaxen, waxen. Give me down to there, hair, shoulder length longer. Yeah, but but believe it, it uh, spent two weeks at number one on the Cashbox Top 100 and reached number two on the Billboard Hot 100. It was kept out of the number one spot by an, by what we previous another song from Hair, which we just uh, talked about, which was Aquarius Let the Sunshine In. Isn't that wild? It's so weird. It was like a number it, one it, and it, two it song wild. from a Broadway show. Like, when yeah. was the last time that freaking happened? Even like Rent, which was like people at the time, you know, sort of referred to as like the hair of, you know, sort of our generation. Uh, like that wasn't like cracking top 10 hits. <laughs> did Seasons of Love, ever, but Seasons of Love did make it, didn't it? Into something, probably at least <sighs> the adult contemporary chart or something. for a rewind. Like, that is a good question. But I don't remember anybody I, like covering that or anything. But they had, I think they had like the celebrity cover. Like, <laughs> really? Like Stevie like, Wonder like, said, yeah, 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 yeah. Stevie Wonder like, said, we are the world type it, cover. Exactly. Of, uh, I'm Seasons pretty positive love. that they. I'm pretty positive that that I'm, exists and it had to have hit the adult. Are you sure? That's not like a. <laughs> I'm talking no, I not adult not, contempo. I'm talking like top ten, like that's well, something. No, I can't. I don't think it hit top ten. That's something for us to rewind about. Like, what is the last time like a new, newly conceived Broadway show like spawned music that was in like the actual like top ten hits? I don't know. You know what? It probably wasn't from uh, uh, next to normal. <clears throat> Anyway, um, definitely, <laughs> definitely that. Um, it's interesting. I just want to throw this out okay. there because I have been studying and talking about cultural appropriation mm. a lot over the past several months in my courses. Yeah. And it would be interesting for Galt McDermott to be the uh, the composer, the sole composer on this musical. If oh, it were today. Being today. Yeah. Um, it, I, I think there would be a lot of attack. Um, oh, absolutely, hundred uh, percent. Like you, you have to be like, okay, this was written in like the nineteen sixties. I mean, it the, this the the first second line on his his Wikipedia mm-hmm. page is he won a Grammy award for the song African Waltz yeah. in nineteen sixty. Yeah, well, so, like when I said in my little intro to the music, he was like yeah, studying like, yeah. indig- indigenous music of like Africa. 
Yeah. I mean, it's you know, props to him for doing his research, at least, right, that, but, and, and for acknowledging like, that, you know, yeah, 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 um, yeah. which is awesome. But but yes, it would be it would be very fascinating. I, I can't I also imagine that, that feel that like, yes, being today. like a white Canadian composer to like uh, to write like black boys, white boys, that song yeah. like. Yeah. In 2021, well, like people would, people would like definitely have a reaction to that and be like, "Oh my God, number one, what are you doing?" Like, and number two, like yeah, you're like fetishizing, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yes, other races, yes, like, definitely it, it would be, would it would, say. it would, it would definitely be considered exploitative. Yeah, it's exploitative, funny, like because sure. I definitely like to modern my modern ears, I definitely like take it that way, you know. But at the same time, I have this like. um to be perfectly honest, like this fondness for that song for a specific reason, uh, which is because they used to play it endlessly at Splash, the gay bar in New York that oh, no longer on exists Musical on Musical Mondays. And they would play oh, yeah. the clip from I, the film. Um, and I have a few little yes, factoids yes, on Black yes. Boys, White Boys. So Black Boys, it was sung by, and again, I'm talking about the film here, the clip, the Musical Mondays, the Splash clip. Uh, it was Ellen Foley. She sings. She was like the main one of the the white girl, you know, the three white women who sing Black Boys. Okay. Ellen Foley, who co-starred in the sitcom Night Court for one season. <laughs> you remember that movie? That, oh, my God. That, oh, that yes. Show. I used I to loved religiously that watch that show. Uh, I anyway. loved that show. <clears throat> yeah, I like looked Whoa, her up right? and Wasn't... Like, looked at pictures of her in Night Court. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like hitting some memories that haven't been accessed in a very long Harry time. and Bull and Roz wasn't sure. Bull the like Oh, tall... yeah, 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 totally. And then Roz, yeah. Roz was the other uh, like court. Uh, was she like, like the, the spunky pop? one? Or... No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is funny too. One of the other three of that trio is Lori Beachman, as in like Lori Beachman, the, the Lori like, Beachman Theater. Yes, the like Broadway oh. and cabaret singer that like now the infamous Lori Beachman Theater in the downstairs of uh, basically an Applebee's on Forty Second Street, where like every drag show that exists in oh, the city of New God. York, the Lori Beachman theater. Lori so Beachman was one of those she is women. One of the was three one of those women three that women in hair, in hair that sings black boys are delicious. Chocolate flavored love licorice lips like candy. Keep my cocoa handy. I have such a sweet tooth when it comes to love. Black boys are delicious. Chocolate flavored love. Licorice lips like And then, you know, it pivots to the white boys section. And I'm sure you'll remember this, but the main one of the trio, the, billed as the Central Park singer, is Nell Carter. Nell fucking <sighs> Carter sings, white boys are so pretty, skin as smooth as milk. White boys are so pretty, hair like Chinese silk. White boys give me goosebumps. White boys give me chills. When they touch my shoulder, that's the touch that kills. Um Oh my god. No, I don't I told you I've I still haven't actually seen the movie. Yeah, but you have to I mean you went to Musical Mondays, right? 
Not very often. Well, you know, I don't not, really like musicals. That's true. Where it was like I was circling the date, like for the next Monday, that I could be like, no, I mean, I went, vodka, I went, vodka sodas. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, Gimlets. At the, oh God, at the time. But that was the era. Remember those the, fucking? The remember when we were vodka. just drinking those fucking Gimlets? It was like oh, just acid in your fucking stomach. <laughs> it was like roses, um, lime juice, and like yes, vodka. roses, lime juice, uh, <laughs> which is pure sugar and a lot of vodka. I definitely knocked, two for one. I definitely knocked like five years off of my life during the uh, vodka yeah. gimlet era. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 and and like have some some ulcers <laughs> right. uh, as well, totally. um, like holes in the fucking in, oh in your my fucking God. gut. <clears throat> but but this is the thing that is. I, I mean, Nell Carter. Yeah. Again, speaking about a show that I watched oh religiously. Give me a break. Totally. Oh my God. I watched the fuck fucking out of that loved Nell Carter. Give me a break. So Give me a break. much. So much. Anyway, okay, let's jump back to. Um, now, this is the thing. Okay. Th- th- I'm just going to jump back to a- another couple of little passages here. Martin Ehrenstein. I don't know who that is, but he must have had something to do with the pr- mm. production because he also says, you opened up this script and it was one of the most extraordinarily misshapen, totally unfocused, <laughs> weird pieces of writing I've ever seen. Totally impractical, absolutely no storyline, and in my opinion, Jerry Friedman shaped that piece, pulled the essence mm. out, very much created hair as much as Rado, Ragni, or Galt McDermott. I'll never believe anything otherwise, because I was there. I saw it. Wow. So, it's, it's again, it's like all of these people... Who um, and th- this is this gets crazier too. So then Gerald Friedman, mm-hmm. his name is Gerald Friedman. I guess he went by Jerry. He's like, I, I, a lot of this material was really on loose leaf stuff. It really wasn't together. I put it in a sequence. I made a shape for it. These guys had written this very talented thing that we all loved, and they had worked in a theater as actors. But remember, this was the '60s, and they had no sense of form. Hmm. I said, Will you guys please go to Central Park and leave me alone? And I took scissors and paste and pasted together scenes. And I said, This is what we're gonna oh my do. God. Ragni and Rado were very difficult to get along with. I say difficult. They were extremely self-destructive. I was trying to create some kind of cohesive whole, and every other minute they'd bring in some new fragment, or they would say, you got to use this person. They'd change something every day, often very disruptive things. They wanted to take (laughs) out Good Morning Starshine, and I made them keep that in. The cast was a lot of undisciplined young kids. They were stoned most of the time, and they thought that was cool. I remember slamming one kid, Paul Jabara, against the wall and saying, if you come in here high again, you're out on your ass. The guy's now a big record producer. I was trying to create a disciplined show, spontaneous but disciplined, oh my and God. I couldn't cope with it. Oh my God, okay. that sounds like a shit There's so show. much good stuff in here. It's crazy. Wow. Um, but, but let's go back to music for a minute. Well, Good Morning Starshine you just mentioned. Uh, yes. that was a, uh, uh, that, that's of the, the sections of the, you know, the different flavors of the score, as we talked about, that's the one that sort of hits the like mainstream pop checkbox. And in fact, that was the third of the score that was like in the top 10. It was a number three hit in the United States in July, 1969 for the singer Oliver. Yeah, what? exactly. Good morning, starshine.
I have no idea. No idea. But um, but that's the thing. Wait, is <clears throat> Oliver a man or a woman? A uh, man. It's that's just his. That was his like you know stage name. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good morning, starshine. Oliver. In the film, this is like all of the 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 hippies, the tribe. They're like singing it in a um, in a uh, convertible. Field of daisies? No, oh, in a convertible, convertible. whilst okay. driving uh, on their way to like see Claude, uh, who is in basic training in the army. Um, and that's Treat Williams, right? Played treat. by Treat Williams? Yeah. Do you have any Treat Williams? Treat. I don't actually know much about Treat Williams. I remember Treat Williams being in like movies okay. when I was a kid, but I don't really remember anything specific. I have no, no awareness of him whatsoever. Yeah. Because I thought it was such a bizarre name, like someone named Treat. That is I, I remember I if that's him like, being talked about, but I wonder if that's but like I don't really know. I wonder it if very that's much. like his birth name or some like bizarre stage name he picked up. Hmm. Okay, so then Gerald Friedman says to open the public theater on time, I elicited the, the help of Anna Sokolow. I hope hmm. I'm pronouncing that correctly. A choreographer to stage some of the musical numbers. But she got appendicitis, and I went ahead and staged everything. <laughs> then Anna came in. She's a very strong personality, and she had other ideas. Oh the God. guys, Ragni and Rado, 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 began to polarize us and turn toward here, her, and <clears> thus <throat> began to exacerbate our situation. This is like shocking. Ben. This thing ever opened, based on what oh. you're telling me. Listen, Let alone so James Rado. James Rado says. Anna Sokolow really contributed a lot to the feel and mood of the piece. Her style was experimental and very wild. Lots of crazy stagey techniques. Instead of people dancing in or walking in, she'd have them flying in on top of the arms of people. We thought it would end up perfect, but she and Gerald Friedman did not get along. So Gerald walked out of the production and Anna took over the directing. I couldn't believe that doing this one show, all of a sudden we had so much turmoil backstage. Then, after the first preview... Joe fired Anna and rehired Jerry. We were in quite a bit of conflict over that. We were quite upset. Jerry Friedman had put some wonderful, beautiful things in, but we liked the idea of bringing a modern dance element into the musical theater. So there were two directors with different ideas who were working on the show. One had to go, and she was the one. Wait, so did they retain, but she did the the choreography? I think that she, well, I think she was, uh, by that point, yeah. they probably used yeah. a lot of what she So there was done, like a modern but, dance element to it? Okay. Yes, but she was officially Excised gone. from the production, which is interesting because so, in the film, um, it's the choreography is by Twyla Tharp, who you probably know from Billy Joel's oh, Moving Out. And, of course. Yeah, and she's like a, yeah, obviously yeah, and like and a very things, well, yeah. well-known uh, yeah. uh, choreographer. Uh, and it's like very, I was shocked at like how present and like how much of a like factor the choreography was in the film, like particularly in the first oh, yeah. third of it. It's, you know, when the hippies are all running around Central Park, it is like very sort of like modern dance slash ballet. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm almost but, yeah, done with you this were gonna part. Get, so, sorry, Gerald, you. so Gerald Friedman says... I went down to Washington, and within a few days, I got a call from Joe and a telegram saying, please come back. 
I took a look at the show and it was in a shambles. What had happened in a week was unbelievable. They had changed so many things. They had fired the kid who played Claude oh my and God. Jimmy had taken the role. It was ghastly. <laughs> I made certain conditions before coming back. The kid had to be in the show. Jimmy couldn't do it. Yeah. This and that had to go out of the show. Anna and I obviously could not work together. I had to have complete control and Joe set down the law and that's the way it was. We were opening two nights from then. The first night we played with my first act and their second act. The next night, both acts were the way that I had left when I left the show. And then we opened. Oh my God. It was a big success. This is like spider-man turn off the dark yes like development i mean it really in terms like of revolving kind of door of like craziness production team slash like creative team like yeah like merry-go-round wow and like people not getting along hmm yeah, and then and then there's a little bit of Joe Joe Pap saying uh, basically he says um, he realized that that Jerry Friedman had to direct the show mm-hmm. that if Anna did it it was not going to make any sense and mm-hmm. it was going to be a huge flop but he also had the writers against him and they oh did God. not like Jerry Friedman yeah but he basically said look I'm the producer either decision. either I do this or the show I'm not putting the show up yeah. And then he and then he says, um, at that point, the show was already picking up a lot of interest. There was no way I was going to drop it, but they didn't know that. Right. When I put my foot down, I think they were relieved. Wow. So, so yes, I mean, truly, when you think about how fucking difficult it is to ever get a musical made oh in the God. first place, to ever get a musical yeah. to the stage, and then when you have this kind of process which was obviously like incredibly revolutionary and right. unique because the show was literally being written and changed like, like on the fly i mean the whole thing it's like when yes we talked and like about, the director uh, assembled right. it you know it's like when we talked about uh sunday in the park or i lectured you on sunday in the park with george uh where it was just like massive amounts of uh of material being like changed on like a changed right right <laughs> yeah 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 that's true. So, I mean, I think that the, 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 you know, assembly by committee, mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like that yep. sort of thing. You know, all of these people had such a strong influence on how it ended up. Mm. And if it, if it had been any one of, you know, it, it, it's always like I, when I think about casting for a show yeah. like Sex in the City, you know, like if any of those four people hadn't been there, would that show have still sure. had the magic that it did? The same thing is true of this. I mean, like, I guess it like any... works in a weird sort of way because, like you know, like we said, it it is kind of like the show itself is kind of like a little weird, a lot weird, disjointed, it's a lot weird, a lot weird it, disjointed. It, it doesn't have a story. It is like really. a collective experience. I like to think of it as like one big fucking like acid trip. Honestly, yes. If you yes, and that's yes. why I was like, okay, I get it a lot more when I saw it because it's like it does feel like it's like a very immersive like acid trip type of experience. And if you just sort of like, just go along with the ride, then it's like, it it makes sense in like a very weird sort of way. But yeah, it is, it it has like a threadbare plot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I find it shocking that the plot is so Mm -hmm. threadbare Mm -hmm. to use your word. And yet when you get to that <sighs> fucking moment when Claude yeah. dies. Yeah, at the end, it's so it powerful. It is 
devastating. And the fact that Let the Sunshine yes. comes out of that moment Correct. is so fucking Yeah, I'm like I literally no getting idea. chills like right Me now too. thinking about it. And I, I mean, when when you hear, hear that song out of context without oh, yeah. knowing the show, you think it's, you think it's happy, a celebration. Hippie, you think it's like, like yes, people dancing yeah. in the field, hippie, hippie, free like, love, and yeah, smoking behind joints. the trees. Like, you you know? totally think it's that, and it's like dark, and it's like powerful. It's so dark. And it's like you get into like, yeah, you yeah, just that whole like collective experience of that time that I honestly can't imagine, and like the experience of the draft. Like, and oh, like, the, yes, just the randomness of it all. It's like, I, I don't know yeah. if you have anyone in, in your family, but my, my uncle was drafted, uh, to Vietnam and, uh, he, he recently wrote a book that like was fascinating and like laid out in extreme detail, his experience overseas. And it was totally harrowing, uh, and like talked just, you know, about his decision, like decision-making, honestly, like leading up to, to the point before he needed to go into basic training and like people were legitimately like, no, I'm going to Canada. Like, you know, like right, all right. of that, yes, like, it's yes, like, yes. yeah, like it's not, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that the protests were what they were, what they, what they were. And, uh, and yeah, that like, even in the film, the ending was, which has a very bizarre plot twist in the film. In the film, there's this like weird, like situation where like Berger and uh, Claude like change places, and then Berger and ends up like accidentally going to Vietnam in place of Claude. It's like this very ridiculous eleventh hour plot twist. Um, what? It's hard for me to even explain because as I was watching it, I was like, "What?" It's like because they they change like um, outfits so that like Claude can like leave the base to see the rest of the tribe who have like uh, who have driven from New York to Nevada to like see him, and so the, he leaves, and then in the course of this like you know, hour or something, then all of a sudden, like, the sergeants come in, and they're like, we're shipping out, and then Burger's like, oh my god, like, what's happening? And then, and then it's like, they're, they're like, being, like, marched, like, single file into the plane to go to Vietnam, and then, like, then there's a shot of the plane, like, going up in the air, and then the neck, and then they start playing Let the Sunshine In, and the next scene is there, like, the whole tribe is there like um, at Arlington National Cemetery and they're like gathered around Burger's grave. And even though it's like the most ridiculous, this would never happen plot twist, I still like b between the music and just the shot of Arlington National Cemetery and like knowing what this meant like culturally right, right. and like what yes, happened yes. to people, I'm like sobbing, like absolutely sobbing yesterday. Um, cause then also like, so after you see the tribe, like mourning their friend in Arlington National Cemetery, then the scene evolves and you suddenly see like 
people start streaming in and they're like in front of the white house and it ends with like this full scale, like peace protest. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like even tearing up right now. And then like <laughs> my partner, Chris Catino walks in into the room, like at that moment, as <laughs> so I'm like sobbing in front of the computer and he's like, what's on your face? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, tears. And he's like, why? And I'm like, I'm watching hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. Did um, he see it? Did you go to see it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I don't know yeah. if he saw it. I saw it twice. I don't know if he saw it both times with me, but oh my God. But that like, yes, the ending of that show. And you're like, why? Because like everything, like it is so weird and disjointed, but I, I think oh, it really so is weird. because it has this cultural resonance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, even yeah. like, it's like, even if like, what happened two hours before was like a mess. You still would be like, Oh my God, because of like what well, happened. What happened. And yes, of course, it, it, because you're watching a moment of history yeah. and, but you're also watching. And this is the thing about so many musicals is like, they may not, they may not, they may not, they, may they not. might not be brilliant, but there are fucking brilliant things in sure. there. And, and, and I, that's how like I, when we talked about musical. wicked, where there I was are, still like having yes. chills at the end of yes. act one, even though I'm yep. like, Oh my oh. God, that is a garbage musical. Oh. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, this musical has so many moments and, and you know, it's also obviously I want to talk. Okay. Wait, I want yeah. to talk about. Um, so let let's talk about the what happened after. I don't know if you know this, mm. but basically Joe Papp he had a schedule. You know, he what was do you like, mean he had a schedule? Um, he they were doing you know they were doing shows. Oh yeah, they weren't going to just do hair. Right. So they did hair. It was a huge, terrific, popular success. And then he said, um, actually, I'm doing Hamlet next. Like we can't keep this open. So he. What do you mean? So we can't the show closed. Album. The show closed oh, at the oh, public. Oh, gotcha. And 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 it and it and, you know this was this was the first show like this. Obviously, since then the public mm-hmm. has had many successes, but this was the first show. So there was no. Um, That's why you know, there was no point of reference yeah. for how this was going to work or what it was going to mean. And so there was this guy Michael. Sorry, fuck. What is his first? What is his last name? Um, he ends up being one of the main producers that takes it on, and I can't find his last name. Anyway, okay. So Bernard Gersten, who uh, was the I, basically like the CFO or the managing director, probably at okay. that time. I think he later he later um, worked at Lincoln Center, and I think <laughs> he might still be alive. I'm not 100 percent sure, or else he is very recently deceased that can be a so rewind says, is this person dead? yeah we can do that michael who really believed in hair and, and and loved it and became a flower child and a hippie instantly michael was the only person in the whole university of the theater who was foolish enough to think that a play that had closed on broadway might be reopened some four or five months later in a new version with a new director and that's what he did oh my and god that resulted in the successful hair. <laughs> if we had moved our version to the Henry Miller, hair might have come to a different end or it might have come to the same end. Plays plays making it or not 
make, plays making it or not making it have to do with a kind of launching process, very much like launching payloads and rockets. And I don't know whether Hare could have gone to launch without the frontal nudity that the new production added. Our production didn't have that gimmick. The capper that captured the imagination of the New York theater, so it might not have gone to launch anyway. Mm. So basically, the production, they, Michael, who, who I'll have to look up his... Um, last name uh became he basically bought the show from the public and they uh the royalty rate of one half of one percent of the gross which we retained resulted in revenue for the public theater of 1.5 to 2 million over the next four or five years oh, well. a very important source of subsidy for us so joe and i never regretted hair everything we did had a logic of its own. Well, so that was, um, so then Michael was actually the one who basically owned the, he bought the, the rights, rights from for the, the public, public and yep. he was the one who then made the movie and then, you oh, know, continued okay. the life of hair. So all of that, <clears throat> I think then the next production that they had that was like that, which was, uh, oh my God, we should know this answer because we've, I think we've even talked about this musical before. It was another musical that started. You're talking about at, chorus line. Oh, that's been that was a chorus stretch, line. right? Because that was like seventy. Well, yeah, it was seventies. Yeah. I mean, it was. The, I think day. it was the next thing that was this massive. Yeah, for like sure. That, and they and obviously by that point they were well prepared. I mean, it wasn't the next thing that they probably took to Broadway, but it was the next like, like cultural, cultural flash point. Type. Yes, yeah. yes. Well. So by that point, of course, they learned. Um, they learned. They learned. They learned. Um, I want to talk uh, really quickly one more about um, about just this also this period, which was basically like the, the, the theater had just opened, like yeah. had just opened. But already, and this is one of the reasons that Joe Pat became so controversial and was such a well-loved and kind mm -hmm. of also hated person in the theater because he was loyal until he wasn't. And Ming Ooh. Cho Lee, who if you haven't heard of Ming Cho Lee, is a huge Broadway designer and yeah, theater have, designer, actually. theatrical designer. Okay, so you so Ming Cho Lee was one of the original designers with the public. Wow, okay. Gerald Friedman was one of the original directors with the public. And shortly after the success of Hair and the, and the way that the public was exploding, Joseph Papp was suddenly loyal no more. So Ming Cho Lee says, mm. Joe suddenly changed direction. He began to think completely on different terms about what his public theater should be. He changed direction when none of us knew he was changing direction. He started having new play, playwrights, which was very important. But these new playwrights would like to work with directors that they grew up with, not Jerry Friedman. And Jerry was suddenly in the background and the directors would like to work with designers they grew up with. Therefore, it's not me, even though I'm the principal designer. Suddenly, some of us are isolated in the park. The Delacorte becomes just something to do for the summer. Mm. Instead of having continuity, the whole thing of becoming a year-round theater actually created fragmentation. So that's just another voice of, uh, and yeah. again, more about the public than it is about, about the process of, um, of hair. But interesting... I've read a lot about Joseph Papp and, of course, uh, it, it being the public being directly across the street from Blue Man yeah, Group and, right. and us doing shows at Joe's Pub. Totally. And, 
Um, and and seeing things, you know, it's such a cultural institution, it so it's always yeah. fascinating to learn more about. I walked the public. I walked past it yesterday, and I waved to you. Um, I was like, Tim may very well be across the street right fortunately, now. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, I was not right. Yeah, no, I know you weren't, so, but in concept, I was like, well, that's where yes, Tim is spending yes. a lot of time these days. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Six, seven days a week, but not this week. Not this um, week. What do, do you want to talk what about? Else do we the, want to do you say? want to talk about the movie at all? Well, I haven't seen the movie. Uh, I have. I know. But so as of like please. within the last 48 hours, which is wild. Like, I, I cannot was, I was believe. trying to watch it. Yeah. But I couldn't remember my Apple password, and so I was I got was getting flustered. Well, and you folks, know, if you enter the wrong thing yeah. many times, then it'll shut you off. So well, I gave up. You can, uh, I mean, as of as of today, uh, you can see it for free on Roku. You just need to like set up. How a, do you set up a account? Yeah, I mean, I already had one, so it was easy peasy. But uh, yeah, it was well, free. just give no me ads. your login information. Or so that, I don't oh yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, the things that you could do Christ. with that. No, I'm just kidding. That's fine. I can give you my login. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I watched the film. It, this was another case of, you know, we talk about rock bottom expectations, but I really thought it was going to be like very bad. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, you know, movie musical adaptations usually are pretty like, it's rare that yeah. they go well. Yeah. It's very rare that they yeah. go well. And I just kind of assume, like, I I also don't know why I never watched, you know, I know why, because I never was interested in the music. So it's like, why would I watch the film? Um, but I'm shocked that after I, like, saw and loved the revival that I didn't, it didn't occur to me, like, well, let me go check right, out the movie. Right, right, But, like, literally knew nothing about it. I just, because I put it in that camp of, like, oh, Jesus Christ, superstar, or, like, Godspell, or, like, this is just gonna, like, suck. Uh, so yeah, it was like, it was, I definitely took it on as like a homework assignment, uh, on Friday. <laughs> uh, and I enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed it. Like I told you, there's this ridiculous plot twist at the end, but like, yes, if you yes. like, just like consider it as like a companion piece, like as something that, that is like sort of just like completely different, um, but like happens to have some of the same music. I, I actually like enjoyed it in a way. Um, I mean, it's distant as most brought, you know, movie musical, like Hollywood adaptations are, it was like removed time wise from the original production. So it, uh, the movie came out in 1979. So, you know, we're like, oh, wow. we're like pushing eighties at this point. Um, right. 13 years yeah. later. Wow. Yeah. It was directed so, by wait. Milos Foreman. Um, oh, yes. Who I think worked on Ragtime, if, maybe. I think he yeah. also did work on A Ragtime. Czech I think he also director. directed the 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 movie about um, the people versus Larry Flint. Oh, I okay. Is one of his films. Yeah. And there's like some film. interesting direction choices. Like I actually like. I thought it was well directed. Uh, and I mentioned that Twyla Tharp did the choreography and it is also like equally uh, distinctive and interesting. Um, and then like a pretty solid cast too. Like we, t we talked about treat Williams. Um, John Savage played uh burger uh, who I believe he's best known for the deer hunter. All I can say is, John yeah, Savage. John Savage. All I know is that he 
was a stone cold fox in this movie. I was like, um, hello, John Savage. Um, and then I got super excited because again, I had no idea, like know nothing about this film. I got so excited as the credits start rolling because the role of Sheila Franklin, who's sort of like the main female lead is Beverly D'Angelo, which I was like, are you fucking kidding? I think I actually gay gasped. I was like, oh my God, Beverly D'Angelo is in this film. I was literally like, how the fuck did I not know this? I was like, I should have been running to see this movie. Um, And then the role of Jeannie Ryan, who's sort of like the quirky, like female hippie of the tribe is played by Annie, Annie Golden. Do you know her? No. Okay, so she, I was like, I watched like a good 20, 30 minutes of the the film. And then I was like, wait, how do I know this actress? How do I know this actress? I was like, first of all, she's amazing. But second of all, how do I know her? So she is an American actress and singer. She first came to prominence as the lead singer of the punk band, The Shirts from 1975 to 1981, uh, with whom she recorded three albums. She began her acting career as mother in the 1977 Broadway revival of Hair uh, after taking on uh, the the role of Jeannie Ryan, as I mentioned, in the film version. Um, other notable film credits include Desperately Seeking Susan, uh, Baby Boom, remember that one in 87? Yes, long with time, Diane Keaton. Longtime companion in 1989. What? Strictly Business in 1991, uh, 12 Monkeys in 1995, and onward and onward and onward. However, she's best known for portraying mute Norma Romano in in, uh, the Netflix streaming television series Orange is the New Black. Did you watch that? No. Oh, really? Uh, Anyway, yeah, like just solid character actress, and she's great in this movie she has lots of fun moments but i really enjoyed this there's this scene that she has with um so it's her the character genie and then lafayette who's a member of the tribe his uh, fiance and the tribe has stolen a car uh to drive to nevada to visit claude at basic training camp and the two characters are off to the side at some random gas station um genie's pregnant except she doesn't know who the father is of her child uh, it's either Lafayette or this other character in the tribe. And the, t- the, the scene between the two of them is just like super, super charming. I'm going to see if I can like actually like excise and find a clip of it because they're just like coming from d- very different places. You know, she's very like free love. Like, why do you think this is a problem? Like, and then, you know, and then, uh, the fiance of course is like, is like, a, you know, a, a little more straight strict in terms of cultural norms, but they're re- like, they're both like clearly amused by each other in the scene. And it's like a little bit of a bonding moment. And, and Annie's got this like sly mischievous smile that just makes you love her. Um, but yeah, there's, here's another like ra- uh, random, um, um, cameo in the film is Charlotte Ray. She's lady in pink at a party that they crash. Charlotte Ray. Charlotte. Yeah. Ray. From the eighties. Like what's the, uh, you know, what's the, the sitcom with the, uh, with, uh, the sort of like orphan girls and she's the mom and what i'm talking oh, about oh facts of life yeah that's charlotte oh Ray. my god right? oh my god because okay, even when i was okay. watching it i was like oh my god is that charlotte ray <laughs> oh yeah. wow yeah they're super not random. orphan girls they're at a gir- private <laughs> orphan girl girls yeah i didn't really describe that well but you got it um 
<laughs> ding, ding, ding. It's like, well, like, try to, like, suss out my brain. Uh, but Be- you have to watch this movie for many, many okay. reasons. But, like, Beverly D'Angelo, okay. she has some very, you know, she's great. And she has some very amusing moments. There's a scene where, there's the scene where Claude's tripping on acid and, like, imagining all this crazy shit. And then at some point, Beverly D'Angelo is flying through the air in a church, like, nine months pregnant in a wedding dress. And you're literally just like, what is going on? There's another scene where she's, like, <clears throat> blowing smoke rings in some random bar outside an army base and you're just like oh my god uh i'm like a beverly d'angelo super fan in case you haven't noticed i love beverly <laughs> d'angelo. i do i love her as well yeah um i feel i feel i don't want to confuse people but i yeah. also do want to go back to the stage oh just well, this has been so bit. disjointed it's literally like let's talk about the because... film let's talk about the movie let's talk about the development and i feel like it's kind of right for talking about hair that yeah. our conversation well, you're right you're right that it is just fucking all over the place yeah. so because i was just looking at the at the wikipedia <laughs> here and there are some other names that we just oh. have to get in this episode <laughs> we've got so charlotte Ray. The, so um we have the original Broadway production. Now, I, I'm not going to name all of these people because okay. we we don't know all of them. But there were obviously like Jerome Ragney, one of the writers, played Berger. James Rado, uh, he was the guy that uh, the director threw out of the role of Claude. But so he was, but he did play Claude for a period of time. Walker Daniels was was the original Claude, and then Sheila Franken was played by Jill O'Hara and and or Lynn Kellogg. Hmm. And Jeannie was played by Sally Eaton. Um, But, so this is where, this is fascinating. The original Broadway production also included Melba Moore, I don't know who that is, uh, as Dion, Ronnie Dyson, Paul Jabara, and Diane Keaton was in the original Broadway production of Hair. I feel like I, in some weird, like, alternate universe knew that, somehow. Now, wait a second. shocking and not shocking to me. Among the performers who appeared in Hair during its original Broadway run were Ben Vereen, Keith oh. Carradine, Meatloaf, what? Lala Brooks. Oh my God! Um, this was like Robin McNamara, first Vicky Sue Robinson. Stunt casting. Now this is the part that so, so the production ran. Yeah, Meatloaf. Like, who the the fuck production did ran for four play? years. And 1,750 mm-hmm. performances closing on July 1st, 1972. Wow. Now, this is the part that I had to say because on the West End, yep. Hair opened um, in London on September 27th, 1968. And the original London tribe included Liza Minnelli. Names, Melba Moore. <laughs> Mel- Melba Moore is here again. Okay. And then at Elaine Page. Oh, yeah. Um, that's fucking right. Richard O'Brien and Tim Curry. This what? was Curry's first full-time theatrical acting role where he met future Rocky Horror Show collaborator Richard O'Brien. Oh Harris God. engagement in London surpassed the Broadway production running for 1,997 performances until its closure was forced by the roof of the theater collapsing in July of 1973. Oh my God, that's dramatic. So not only was Hare even a bigger hit in London, which is so fascinating because of course it's about americans but also it's where richard o'brien and tim curry met and who obviously if you don't know richard o'brien was the writer of the rocky horror show and tim curry of course infamously played 
well, is it infamously? No, it's just famous. <laughs> <laughs> Famously played uh, Frankenfurter in both the stage production and the movie adaptation. I don't know why I said infamously. I hate mm. it when I do things like that. All right. Um, that was fascinating. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. Uh, there's also something else about awards that I was... Oh, yeah. The 1969 Tonys, Hair was nominated for Best Musical and Best Director, but lost out to 1776 oh. in both categories. Oh, my God. No, thank it's you. So no, ma'am. Bizarre. No, ma'am. It's no, ma'am. so bizarre. When, like, the same thing of this guy, right? Galt McDermott. He, the other musical that he wrote won all those Tonys to Gentlemen of Verona. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows sure. it. Oh, I yeah. wonder if it's ever done. I and mean, Hair... Which is done probably not as much as Greece, but certainly. Obviously, but has a still, cultural footprint uh, that people it, it, are yes, like, know yes, what the yes, hell yes. like hair yeah, is. Yeah. Most people have a reference for hair. Uh, certainly, anyone who knows musical theater would have a reference yeah. for hair. Um, fascinating. You know, it's that funny about the so... um, Can we talk about the nudity for a second? Yes, of course. I would love to talk about the nudity. I mean, it's just that, like, I remembered growing up. That was like what I always heard about this show yeah was that like the yeah, nude that everybody element was naked. that everybody was naked yeah. like that was seen to be like the most well-known thing about this other than a couple songs and it's like you know when you saw the revival right i mean they did the nudity i'm like i barely even remember it but it's like it's like you blink and you miss it but I think referencing what I, that guy who I don't know who that person is remember that I mentioned earlier from the book says if or no, yeah, it was that was Bernard Gersten. If that, if they hadn't come back and added that element, would it have been the huge thing that it became? I mean, it's a good question because in the original production, not everybody took all their clothes off at the end of Act One. But let me tell you, I'm sure just as today, when you know Daniel Radcliffe is going to be naked in Equus, or we're getting ready to have um, you know a bunch of naked baseball players uh, in Take Me Out, which already happened, of course, but the revival is coming back at second stage. Is that, I mean, of course, that's a driver. That is absolutely a driver of audiences to get butts in seats. And at this point, it was probably pretty much unheard of, right? At, certainly at that level. I guess it I just, you know. There were many Broadway productions that had like mass nudity in them. Yeah, of course. It's just like the blink and you miss it aspect kind of makes me roll, roll my eyes a little bit because it, like, you know, like when they went on tour with it, it had like predictable, you know, backlash in all of the like corners of the united states that you would expect like somewhere in my home state of indiana they like refuse to allow the production to go on and like everybody's clutching their pearls i'm like oh my god it's like just predictable that's all i have to say about that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i remember it quite well actually i remember the 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 nude scene i also remember i also saw it twice um i saw it john and i saw it um we had really we we had great seats we were sitting pretty close like like on the side but like the fourth or fifth row oh wow um i remember that there was this woman sitting next to me who had a cold who was really annoying (laughs) because she kept sneezing and blowing her nose but in the end, I think it was probably for the best because if she hadn't been there, I think I would have had like a full on like, like Sally Field oh in um, 
in uh, Steel Magnolia's sort of breakdown because I was <laughs> I was just like heaving, like I was trying to contain my heavingness when <laughs> when Claude dies. Oh yeah. Um, and then, but then we all got to fucking go up on that stage and dance mm-hmm. and you know be around all of those those you know awesome, fun, beautiful people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember the nude scene very well. And then the second time I saw it, I took my niece. It was her first Broadway show. And oh, wow. that's, I a, also that's remember, a memorable, amazing first Broadway show. Right? I mean, she was 16. I yeah. was like, you're going to see hair. <laughs> um, and and we saw it. And, and I also feel like, yes, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like people were naked for like hours, but right. it was a, it was an impactful moment. Mm-hmm. Like it, I, I, it was a very strong statement to have what 25 people all like, remove their clothes at the end of act on one, you know, Broadway stage. Yeah. 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 It was a, it was a big deal. And I can imagine in 1967, Oh my God. I mean, it was a big deal in 2010 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they sing, I mean, it was 67 and they were literally like singing uh, a song that like starts with like the word sodomy. You know, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank God for sodomy. Oh, wow. There, um, there's the name of our well, uh, podcast episode right there. Th- <laughs> Thank, Thank God, God for sodomy. For sodomy. <laughs> oh, it's true, isn't it? It's true. Yeah, it's a fun little stretch of lyrics right there. Um, mm. um, all right. Is there anything else that you would like to say we are or uh, well i should let you ask yeah. that question first answer that question first okay. uh i mean nothing that i would deem critical um nothing right. that couldn't be rewound if you will um other than uh i don't know that this is a musical that i had little to no awareness of and that i have grown to really appreciate more and more over the years um, I think it's like, especially I feel like I learned a bunch today in terms of the development, a lot of stuff that I didn't know. Um, I think the, yeah, I think the end, the end product is just a bizarre piece of a piece of work. Um, I think you need to see it to believe it. I think you need to see yeah, it. You need, I think yeah, you need to experience yeah. it to enjoy it. Uh, and it has a like, and like we've discussed, it has a, surprising strong emotional resonance to it uh yeah yeah that you're like why am i sort of like as affected by this based on what i've just sat through yeah yeah i mean it's it's uh it's pretty beautiful really Mm -hmm. i mean i'm excited to watch the movie i'm gonna watch the movie yeah um because uh because of Beverly D'Angelo, yeah. if nothing else. Because of Beverly D'Angelo. And, <laughs> and, and, and whoever Golden. the hot guy is, you said. Oh, and John Savage. I mean, he John was given, Savage. I mean, watching yeah. that film, and this is saying a lot, he was given Will Swenson a run for the money from me. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Which I feel I like know, is almost I know you, scandalous I know how much you given like Will. The, the level of crush I had on Will Swenson and that, well, Will Swenson in that production. And the, like, four times... I have told the story on this podcast of him straddling my chair while I was sitting next to my parents. <clears throat> I I was waiting for you to mention it one more time, though. I I knew you had it <laughs> yeah, in you. I knew I'm it like, was there. It was just waiting. I was going to try not to. I think it probably is technically oh. the fourth time. I think it is the fourth it time. It might yes, have I been, agree. you know, like if I if I wasn't already like well into my 20s, like it was probably like a new sexual awakening for me. Right, right. 
Um, so this is what this is what's happening, listeners. Okay. We are in our penultimate yeah. episode. That means you had we to just wait. have one. You had to wait two months. Episode for it, left. Yeah. You had to wait two months, <laughs> but we're finally here to to bring you some nonsensical chatter about musicals and to relieve your weary bones and minds of the shit show that we are all continuing to live through but Mm. next episode which god knows when we'll get to it but is going to be the last episode of season two that's right and we are going to rewind the shit out of things it will be so long since we spoke about them or since you listened to them you're going to have no fucking idea what we're talking about (laughs) so we're going to really try (laughs) because we're probably not even going to know why we wrote that thing down But we're going to rewind about so much stuff. It's going to be really fun. And we're also going to have um, our producer, Michael Fell, yeah. stop by for one last shout out before we wrap season two. Maybe, maybe season ex- three, we can like talk about live theater that's happening again. I don't know. We should, uh, uh, we should uh, well, brainstorm about I mean, that. I would think that by the time we probably record our final season two episode, one of us at least yeah. will have seen something Some yeah. in a theater. Yes. So maybe we'll be yeah. able to talk about that a little bit. Um, all right. Well, wherever right. you are, whoever you are, whatever time of day or night it is, we hope you have we ho- a we wonderful... Hope you, we hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you celebrate. I hope you've been celebrating by just like... You know, just shedding your clothing, like yeah, while exactly to this. celebrate while celebrate by getting naked Let and practicing sodomy. Oh, Let God. the sun shine. No, that yours was better. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really hear all of it, but something about sodomy. Practice sodomy. Practice sodomy. Yeah. yeah, get naked and practice sodomy. Ooh. All right, all right. Until next, time. Until next time. Until next time.